And welcome back to another episode of Lost and Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me, my partner in crime, the man out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Wally, you said you hear yourself on the rundown. This NFL Sunday was phenomenal. I wouldn't know anything because shout out to my girlfriend. I got to travel all day during the 1 o'clock and most of the 4 o'clock games via plane. But how was your Sunday, bud? It looks like you had a little bit better, better one than I did. Ironically, that phenomenal was actually from week one. So it's just been chilling at the top of our rundowns for three weeks. But I think it's a running thing you can say for the NFL. So I haven't changed it. Every Sunday in this time of year is phenomenal. It's just good to have football back. I'm just fired up, first of all, because I am an Ohio State fan. I am in, I almost said Oakland, but I am a Las Vegas Raiders fan. Both of those teams have had solid starts to the year. I mean, the Raiders being 3-0, who could have ever seen it coming? It's been a great start for me. I bet, I know you didn't get to see much of the early games, but I know you got to see what Aaron Rodgers did on Sunday night and what he did, where you guys seem to never win. So congrats to you. I bet you had a great Sunday. It made the traveling a little bit more bearable. But of course, then I, then I had to stay up till midnight. I'm an old man. I'm cranky if I don't get my eight to nine hours. But it made Monday a little bit easier to get through. Like you said, your Raiders are three and up. Who would have thought? You would have thought. And you know this. You're right. I have to give myself a slight pat on the back because I did pick them to win all three of these games. Now this is where it gets interesting because I don't think they're going to win on next Monday on Monday Night Football, but we'll, we'll obviously get into that. I just want, when the Raiders do inevitably lose a game, for the media not to do the, the full 180, oh, we knew they sucked. Like, we just we needed to wait longer to have that affirmation, and that's where I feel like a lot of people are almost waiting for right now. But I'll be patient. I think over the course of the year, the Raiders will prove to at least be an above-average team. It's all about how the Raiders play. When they're in good position. When they hit that 6-2 and two wall, they just start going downhill. So, as long as they keep staying consistent, Kansas City falling off a little bit. Maybe the Chargers are the new king we needed to talk about. Might be jumping the gun. They have the problems the Raiders have had forever, though. Their defense is terrible. You cannot win in the NFL with bad defensive play. The Raiders have had it going on now for the better part of a decade. The Chiefs... 31st, tied for 31st in points allowed with the Detroit Lions. That should tell you all you need to say. This is a Kansas City Chiefs team that should be 0-3 right now. Can the Chiefs potentially be better? Going right into our stories, Josh Gordon, the former Brown, the former Seahawk, the former Patriot, passes a physical and signs with the Kansas City Chiefs where he is eligible to start or at least play week four. He does sign in the practice squad here, obviously. He has the longest leash in the NFL. I don't know how he keeps getting second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. When you see guys do something very similar to this, and they're gone out of the league completely forgotten about. Should the NFL and your division, the AFC West, be threatened by this Josh Gordon signing? No, I don't think that I'd be worried about it at all. I'm happy that you know, we've had this discussion even last year, our first year of doing this, we've already had this before, but I am happy that Josh Gordon seemingly has got it under control right now. Let's see if he could keep it this time. Addiction's nothing to be screwed around with, so obviously good luck to him on that, but I don't think this is really going to move anybody either up or down in that AFC West. The Chiefs are already what they are on offense. They're still, 
even with their defensive struggles, a very, very prolific offense. Adding Josh Gordon, I don't think it can really help or hurt them too much. If anything, you might get almost what you saw last year out of Antonio Brown in Tampa, where a few games where he has the four catch, 50 yards, and a touchdown, and people talk themselves into, is he back? The only difference is, is Antonio Brown, he's not been in and out of football for the last decade. Antonio Brown has had more... I guess, recent affiliation with NFL teams naturally, and he's been much more successful as of late. So I think his absence will be much less, I guess, drastic than what Josh Gordon's is. It's hard to just play. I I mean, you might have the stats in front of you. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But he's played, what, the equivalent of maybe a season, maybe two since 2013? You can't physically just jump in and out of the NFL like that and expect the production to be at least at a high level, or at least one that I feel like the Chiefs would expect a contributor to have. If you don't remember Josh Gordon, 2015, 2016, didn't play at all. 2017, he played in 12 games. 2019, he played in 11 games. Didn't play in 2020. So like you say, he's been in and out, but people still hold on to that memory of him pushing nine years ago when he only played in 14 games and led the league with 1,600 plus yards. Let him go. Like I said, no one's had this long of a leash. And quite frankly, he peaked during that season. He's never been the same because, like you said, Wally, the man cannot stay in football. Glad he's getting his act. He's getting his act together somewhat. It's just deja vu. How many times do we have to talk about this? How many times do I have to feel good that he's back in the NFL and making it clean only for him to fail a drug test in two months and then he's back on the streets? And hopefully that will be the last time but then the Ravens will probably sign him. That sounds like something the Ravens would do. We're going to keep this trend of, of drug talking. Leo Collins, offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys, has been suspended five games for not only missing multiple drug tests, but attempting to bribe the drug collector. This suspension is going to cost Collins roughly around $2 million. And per the CPA, that's going to avoid the injury guarantee in that contract, which which is slightly below $6.5 million in his 2022 salary. What the hell happened to this Dallas offensive line these past couple years? And honestly, I think the story is hilarious. What an absolute dog to think that you can just bribe a drug collector. They're not testing for marijuana in the league, so what the hell is this guy hiding? I'm glad you said that. That's what I asked you right before we started this, because you are testing for marijuana, and then it becomes a little bit more sinister and what you're testing for, it's either something then that is extremely potentially damaging to your health, or it is performance-enhancing drugs, which the league is going to be testing for. So I think that regardless of what it is, it's not good. Lucky for the Dallas Cowboys, however, though, this is an offense that should still put up points. Dak Prescott, those running backs, they have it under control right now. Even in that first game against Tampa, who knows how different the narrative we would be having about this Dallas Cowboy team had they beaten Tampa Bay that opening night. Because then you're looking at a 3-0 Cowboys team, and Washington looks lost. Their defense, we talked about the Chiefs taking a huge step back. Washington's defense was something that I thought was going to be a strength of the league, let alone just that team. Dallas right now, even without Leo Collins for five games, they should be fine. This is a hiccup in the road in a weird way. I almost think that it could be beneficial that you have your starting right tackle back halfway through the season, extremely fresh, 
with a very good chance that you already have a lead if you are a Cowboy player, Cowboy fan, et cetera, whatever. We'll get to it, but with how hot they were on Monday Night Football here last night, they've won two in a row after just barely losing to the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like you said, this is going to be really good. It's going to hurt right now, but during this few-game stretch here, you have the Carolina Panthers right now ranked the number one defense. you got the New York Giants, who the only strong suit that, that they have is the defensive line. The Patriots, that's defense, Bill Belichick. He knows where, where your weak point will be, and maybe that right tackle spot is going to be that, and that's going to be shown to us over these next couple of days. you got the Vikings, so what? Then you got the Broncos front, Vaughn Miller, that you're going to have to deal with. So these next few games are really going to see how that offensive line's going to play without having Leo Collins in there. As long as you got Dak behind center, I think anything is possible for that Cowboys team. I just want to tie this, what our topics together with a little knot here. It is kind of crazy that Josh Gordon was suspended for a full year for what seems to be a failed marijuana drug test five years ago. And now we're less than, again, five years later. And you have players literally bribing drug test officials not to take your test and they're only getting five games. It's just one of those moments you have to step back and take a look and just see how different times really change and how we really have changed, I guess, how we approach testing and all that because it doesn't really seem fair from the Josh Gordon Avenue, but I guess two wrongs don't make a right either. I mean, there's got to be a middle ground, but five games for bribing, and it sounds like it was almost two. I don't know. That's it. It's a little funky when you bring these stories up side by side. Now to get our week three started. A little bit of hair of the dog. These are all the games you don't give a shit about. We barely, well, we, we care, but we're not going to really go too, too in-depth about that. We're going to start it off where I was actually in North Carolina this past weekend. Shout out to my boy Dylan Watts, his beautiful new bride, Catherine Watts. Best man at the wedding. Had an absolute blast. Started off the weekend with watching Carolina beat Houston on a Thursday night football game. Carolina starting the season 3-0. For the first time since 2015, when they went on to the Super Bowl. But it comes with J.C. Horn being lost to a, to a foot injury and Christian McCaffrey going out early with a hamstring injury. They're used to playing without CMC. We'll see how their secondary is going to look in that number one ranked defense. Is how long they're going to be ranked up there without J.C. Horn. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this game was won strictly on better quarterback play. Sam Darnold was the best quarterback on the field on Thursday. That's a wild thought to me. What were some of the takeaways that you had here? And Houston only being held to 193 yards. Who would have thought we would have been preaching, begging for Tyrod Taylor to come back in that organization, in that starting role? This game, to me, it taught us that Carolina has a solid defense. We knew that they were at least a functional defense, but they are a good defense. Sam Darnold is going to be able to keep them in a lot of games. But is their ceiling beyond a potential wildcard berth? No, I don't think so. Houston, on the other hand, they're a team that realistically are what we thought they were. David Mills is not the answer. At least it doesn't look like he's going to be at this point. Not like he really has a fair shake to begin with. He's being put in a very difficult situation. So is that entire coaching staff. But this Texans team, at least so far, credit to them, they've hung around in games more than I thought they would. Carolina, they are 3-0, but much like Denver we'll get into later, a lot of this you have to look at who they're playing. So I'm not exactly putting all my stock on the Carolina Panthers at this point, but credit to them, they're 3-0, they've taken care of business. 
The next game, and they technically played it, but I don't know how many people actually saw this game on Sunday. The Atlanta Falcons traveled to MetLife to play the Giants. This was 14-7 late. The Giants actually scored and got a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter. It looked like they were in a position to win this game. The Falcons, whoever, score 10 points late in the game, complete the win. They win this game 17-14, but this is another one of those situations. I don't feel like you learn a lot about this. This is two bad teams. One of them just had to win. This game says more about the Falcons. I mean, my goodness. That Kyle Pitts, three targets, and it wasn't even until the fourth. He caught two of them. The third one he dropped, that was going to be a touchdown. Ends up not really mattering. Shout out Arthur Smith gets his first head coaching win in the NFL. But man, the Giants are just as bad, if not worse, than what we were anticipating. Saquon finally getting on the board in the touchdown column here. 16 carries, 51 yards, one touchdown. Nothing crazy. Danny Dimes only 24-35 with 266. What can we talk about? Atlanta is so bad. The Giants are so bad. I just am trying to wrap my head around how the Atlanta Falcons go into MetLife, have three less first downs, two less third down conversions, 5 of 13 compared to 50% for the New York Giants. But it's just New York being a bad team. They can't hold a lead. What do I do with my hands? Act like you've been there. They've never been there. Here's also a fun fact. Since 2018, the two worst records in the NFL both play at MetLife Stadium. What a time to be alive. If you're a New York fan, my goodness, between them, how bad the Knicks have been recently, you're just gripping onto the Yankees that maybe they can do something and fucking make a postseason run for once instead of choking with all the all-stars that they have. The best thing about Sunday was that they retired Eli Manning's jersey at MetLife. That was their peak. How do they repay Eli? By blowing a lead in the fourth quarter and letting Atlanta score 10 on answer to take the lead. They gave him the Paul Pierce treatment up there in MetLife. Come on, get blown out? In a retirement game? That's what it's all about up in the Northeast. I'm sure Saquon was asking for that wheelchair so he can go take a shit in the bathroom and just pretend it's another leg injury never have to play another snap for this team. Unfortunately, that guy still loves playing football. I need him on my fantasy team, so I enjoyed him getting a dub, but I got waxed in that league. Not that it fucking mattered. We'll keep it up here in the Northeast where Jameis Winston takes the Saints up to Foxborough and hands Billy B and the Pats a loss. I still cannot get a read on this New Orleans Saints team. Jameis going 13 of 21, 128 yards and two touchdowns. Kamara being an absolute stud, 27 touches, 118 and one touchdown. Mac Jones struggling in this game, throwing three interceptions right in time. They're coming off this bad loss right in time for Tom Brady and the boys to have a nice little reunion. What is the pulse of this New Orleans Saints team? And when do you think that we can actually get a solid read on what this team can do? You know what the New Orleans Saints team is? They are the vacation girlfriend you have when you're growing up, when you're in middle school or you're in high school, and your family goes to the beach or your family goes somewhere with the body of water. There's good-looking girls all over. You fall in love with one. You talk to a girl for like 12 hours one day, and you think you know everything about her, and all of a sudden, you'll, you'll, I don't know, maybe you text her that next day or you text her the next week. And all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I don't actually know anything whatsoever about this girl. That's what the Saints are. You saw her really hot for 12 hours. You saw her beat up. Who, who did they even play in week one? I can't even remember off the top of my head now. Smoke the Packers. Oh yeah, that was your team. My bad. That was actually not even meant to be mean. 
My bad about that. Yeah, I forgot it was your Packers at first, but that's what they were. They were really, really good. So we just convinced ourselves because we know the kind of player that Jameis was down in Florida in Tampa Bay before. And we just figured that with the gunslinging ways of Drew Brees, even in Sean Payton's offense, we were getting the birth of that right away. What we did not pay attention to is that that was a New Orleans Saints team, even in week one, that only threw for 150 yards. This isn't the Drew Brees Saints. This is going to take a little while to kind of figure out what their identity is. I don't even think they know who they are yet. But regardless, the Patriots, the only thing I can say for them is that this turns into a two-game season. You have to beat the Bills twice because I think that's the only way that they are going to be able to keep that AFC East in range. So got to beat them. Beyond that, really excited for this upcoming Sunday night football game. I think it's probably the most excited for a primetime game that hasn't featured one of my teams in a very long time. But the Cardinals, they avoid an embarrassing loss down in Duval against the Jaguars. And I say embarrassing just because when I say this, Stephen, I can't tell you the last time I've watched a worse head coaching battle between high-profile names. Cliff Kingsbury was handed a Ferrari down there in Arizona when he stepped in. Urban Meyer, not quite. He got handed a station wagon that people just magically thought he would turn into Ferrari, when in reality, he's just scrapping the team for parts when he'll be either at a TV job or a college job this time next year. Steven, what were your biggest takeaways beyond the 68-yard kick that never should have happened? <laughs> the kick six to end the half to give Jacksonville a 13-7 lead. So that was one of the games I was able to watch on my phone on the flight, they give you all the free TVs. Luckily, they had both the stations with – they had Fox, CBS. They also had NFL Network. So, for my YouTube TV people out there that don't pay for NFL Red Zone, go to the NFL Network, NFL Game Day Highlight. It's the same fucking thing with just different people. I enjoyed watching Arizona play this game because they've just been demolishing the past two weeks. So, it's nice to see them grind it out, face a little bit of adversity – against a home team in Jacksonville that's very clearly hungry for their first win. Then Arizona comes out in the third quarter, puts up 17, puts the icing on the cake with another touchdown in the fourth quarter, put the game out of reach, but most importantly, help you cover. Kyler Murray continues with a 316-yard performance, one interception with a QB rating of 67.1. Not that great. Trevor Lawrence continues his horrible, horrible play. Another two interceptions. On the year, that Jacksonville Jaguars leading the NFL right now in giveaways with nine. Man, you just simply cannot win if you're giving the ball up like that. I don't care how great your special teams is, even though you're number one, only because of the kick six. Real quick, I want to jump in here, Steven. You were on a flight, you said, so I don't know how much of this you got to see from a gambling perspective. Real time, 15 minutes. I'm not talking about game time. The Jaguars were up nine points. I watched them miss their extra point, right? They are seven and a half point favorites. I turned my head and I swear like 15 minutes later, I'm on red zone again and the Cardinals are up 12 points. It was an actual two minutes and 40 seconds span of game time that they went from trailing by nine to leading this game. And from that point, you knew that the cover was going to happen. Did you get to see a lot of that on the plane or was that a little bit more of the you only kind of caught that in the highlights when you were doing your studying for the game. I caught it in real time as much as you can on the NFL game day, but you can, you can think that to Brian Murphy Jr. 
had an interception, took it back to the house, completely wiped away the de- the special teams touchdown with a defensive touchdown. They just got it done. We had A.J. Green put up his first 100-plus yard performance since 2018. Love to see that. Christian Kirk with a bucko four there as well. James Conner scoring two touchdowns on the ground. And I'll reiterate this. I think this was a good game for Arizona to win, facing adversity, being able to push through that. I felt like this time last year, this Arizona Cardinals team was ready to give up. And now I'm starting to trust them a little bit more. Maybe they can stay hot. This is also their first 3-0 start since 2015, where they were able to advance the NFC Championship game. Just Larry Fitzgerald ripped out the Packers' heart right in front of me after Aaron Rodgers hit a Jeff Janis Hail Mary to send the game into overtime. Not that I've been thinking about that. Not that it sits in my mind, rent-free. Nothing like that. We'll move on to the next one with the Denver Broncos. Grounded the Jets here a little bit. 26-0. Kicking myself in the ass for taking the Jets plus 10.5. That was an absolute joke. The Broncos hold the Jets to 162 total yards. Zach Wilson yet again throwing two interceptions. Sacked five times. Teddy Bridgewater didn't do anything amazing this game. 19-25, 235, zero turnovers. That's what you're looking for. And they lose K.J. Hamler to a torn ACL. So my Cortland Sutton fans out there that have him on their fantasy team, this is going to be your year to finally use it. The Jets are horrible, a lot worse than we thought. Thought they were going to be a little bit more competitive in this game. Couldn't be any further off. I'm giving the Jets a little bit of time for me to completely just say lost year because this is a year you went into it knowing that they weren't going to be a playoff team if you're a Jets fan. This was a year that you just want to see Zach Wilson improve and you want to see that very young, inexperienced defense learn throughout the year. We haven't seen it yet, but we're three games in. I'm not wasting too much time on them, but that's just the way it is right now. We have to wait and see if they do develop. Now for the Broncos, the three teams they've played so far, they have a combined record of 0-9. I know that you can only play who's on your schedule in the NFL. It's not like you're out there scheduling these teams yourself. I just want to press pause on everybody deciding that the Broncos are for real. Their defense is very, very good. I talked about Carolina earlier. I feel like they're very similar teams right now where they have very good fringe elite defenses that are going to be held back by game managers on offense. Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold, I feel like, are going to be similar-ish quarterbacks this year. Just don't turn it over. Give me 250, 300 yards a game. That's all that you need. These teams are going to at least be around when we get to the point where we're throwing up the the in-the-hunt graphics in November, December. I just don't think we know enough about them at this point. Benjamin Albright did point out he's a Broncos insider out there in Denver. In his 62 career games... Teddy Bridgewater has thrown for more than one touchdown 16 times, twice of which being this year. He's thrown for more than two touchdowns twice in his entire career. This guy is not going to be the guy to get it done. So you're telling me, anytime I see that Teddy Bridgewater over one and a half touchdowns, I should take that prop? And I'm not foreshadowing anything, but that's what I'm reading right here. That sounds like a... uh... Dare I say absolute lock in the future? I mean, yeah, you're looking at what? That's quarter of the time he's throwing more than one touchdown in a game in his entire career. And then you're looking at 5%, maybe not. I guess it'd be closer to 3 or 4% of the time he gets more than two touchdowns. In today's NFL, that don't work. So you're saying there's a chance. And that's about all I'm saying. 
The Seattle Seahawks are just hoping for a chance in the NFC West right now because they get blanked in the second half and they lose to the Vikings. The Vikings were entering this game 0-2, but anybody who's been watching them knows that that record doesn't reflect how they've been playing. Steven, I know, first of all, it was awesome for you as a Packers fan to see the Packers get a win. Keep that game cushion on the Vikings. But watching this team right now, do you think that they could at least give you guys a little bit of fits in the NFC North come the end of the year? Because the defensive line's not as bad as I remember it being last year. And the offensive line hasn't been as disappointing yet either. I think a lot of it depends if they're healthy. The Vikings defense is not the defense we're accustomed to seeing to ran by Mike Zimmer. So it's taken, it's, they've fallen off a little bit, but maybe that's a defense that will, it's a nice wine. It's going to age over time and, and it will get better. I hate playing the Vikings. The Packers, number one, deficiency is stopping the run. And Dalvin Cook cooks us every single time we play. Now, Dalvin Cook was out of this game. Alexander Matson comes in with 26 touches, 112 yards, and you got Justin Jefferson with a, a stat line of nine receptions, 118 of the touchdown on there. Seattle has to be panicking right now. Maybe this Vikings team is going to get a little bit hot. Talk about hot and cold. Feels like the last couple of years they start off cold. Two years ago, they made a little bit of a run, got in the playoffs. Last year, they didn't have enough gas left in the take towards the end. It just seems like that's the mantra for these Vikings teams over the past few years is they start off cold and they start really heating up and all of a sudden no one wants to play them when it gets to December or January. Now I want to ask you this. Is there a lot of panic in Seattle right now? Russ 22, 32, 298, one touchdown. Chris Carson with 12 rushes, 80 yards and a touchdown as well. Our next few games, I got the Niners, Rams, Steelers, Saints, Jags win and the Packers. This is a team that is bottom in the league, allowing 440 yards per game. Where we thought that defense could have, was getting fixed towards the end of the year, right back to their old ways. Are you pushing the panic button on Seattle quite yet? My God, if it was me, going into this year, I said that Seattle was either the third or fourth best team in this division. I think a lot of it depends on how delusional of a fan base Seattle is. Because I am an AFC fan, because the NFC West is just that on the West Coast. I don't get to see a lot from true Seattle natives. But this is a team that's had a terrible defense now since the LOB has been gone. Their offensive line has been continuously missed on. We talk about what Dave Gettleman has done in not done, I guess would be more appropriately said, to the offensive line in the offseason. Seattle swung and swung and swung the last five years and seemingly continuously missing on the line. I don't think you can panic because I think the expectation should have just been that of a wild card team. This team wasn't going to compete with the Los Angeles Rams. This team wasn't going to compete with the San Francisco 49ers. You can make a case right now. They weren't going to compete with Arizona. The moment they choked that game away against the Titans, I think I kind of had that confirmation bias start working in my head about Seattle. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm the other way. I feel like I've been waiting for Seattle to kind of implode a little bit for years now. And Russ has kind of kept that team afloat. They're a nine win team. That's all they are. I'm going with hating that panic button. You got the Niners coming up this week. You know, they're hungry after being so close in that Sunday night game. You got the Rams who seem like the hottest team in the NFL Steelers. We'll see if they wanted to play some ball saints. I don't know. Vacation girlfriend. 
We'll see how she's feeling. Jags win. Packers, we'll see how they're hitting on all cylinders at that time. You have to hit the panic button for Seattle because you cannot get in a hole early and still have a majority of your division games to be played when everyone else in your division is red hot right now outside of the Niners. More or less, I think the panic button, there's two of them, right? You got the panic button on the season, but we have the panic button on the future of Russell Wilson after this. All he did was complain about the front office, you know, the players around him, the offense that they're running. If this is going to continue, why would Russell not want to leave? All I'm saying is Green Bay's getting rid of Aaron Rodgers at the end of the year, and then we're going to get Russell Wilson. Just going to say it. So now I have Pittsburgh fans texting me that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Steeler. I have you telling me that Russell Wilson is going to be a Packer. I'm not ready for this apparent carousel that everybody in the world's predicting for the 22 season. All smoke and mirrors, like you said, man. All smoke and mirrors. Now we'll bring us to the end of the hair of the dog. I'm feeling a little bit buzzed, Wally. You're looking kind of cute. Well, I guess I should probably stop drinking then. I don't disagree, although I do look pretty good today. You don't. We're going to start off with the team that looked very good in the Dallas Cowboys last night for the Monday night game. Just beating up on the Eagles. Dak having a solid game of 21 and 26, 238 and three touchdowns. Zeke 12, 95 and two touchdowns. Dalton Schultz coming out as the leading receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. 80 yards and two touchdowns. Sure, the Eagles defense had an early score in the first quarter here on a weird... I think, that, I think that ended up being ruled as a fumble that they recovered in the end zone, never touched the ground. But, man, don't look at Jalen Hurts' stats. Those are all garbage time in the second half. He didn't throw his first touchdown until about mid to the end of the third quarter. So I think I speak for both of us where we can hit the brakes on the Eagles like we really were all gas on there. Man, these Dallas Cowboys are looking good. I don't care who they're playing. It's the NFL. You're putting up that many points consistently in the NFL, you're obviously doing something right. Even though I hate giving Mike McCarthy props. The Cowboys are a lot better than many people, myself included, thought going into the year. I think we might actually have a division runaway on our hands unless Washington can figure it out in the very near future because they were a dumpster fire. And we'll get into that, honestly, right after this game. I don't know what to say other than the Cowboys. This is their division right now. I like what the Eagles have done to set up for the future beyond Jalen Hurts because, I I mean, Jalen Hurts ain't it. We've seen enough of him to kind of get that feel, right? I mean, he's not that guy. And I really, in a weird way, because of the injury, and I'm not rooting for injuries, but to Isaac Ciamalo, is that how you say it? Ciamalo, I think, is the pronunciation. I don't know, man. You're the English major. I'm expecting you to be perfecting these names. I mean, I would not have a clue. I don't typically know backup guards' names too often. But once he went out last night... Then then why do you have a podcast? Good point. I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. But Landon Dickerson now is going to be what comes in as a permanent fixture at guard. I know he hasn't looked great yet, but I think having that role solidified, knowing that you're going to be the starter all week going into preparation, that helps you. And it helps the coaches protect you in game plans too, kind of play to your strengths. And I think he will end up growing in this role because of that and I think that's going to help them not only in the running game but it's going to help Hurts too or whoever it is back there throughout the year beyond that though Eagles aren't very good 
they're going to struggle this year. The Cowboys running away. Dak looks special. We talked already about their offensive line problems, and they're still overcoming them. If the defense can continue to improve, this Dallas team can really, really be a bad matchup for somebody come the playoff time. It was a sloppy game for the Eagles. They had 13 penalties compared to Dallas's four. You can't play that. Dallas was taking advantage of those penalties. One thing I want to talk about, everyone was very high in the Eagles after smoking Atlanta week one. But now everyone's on the train that, oh, yeah, the Eagles actually suck. And that's been the only takeaway. Well, Dallas played the Eagles. Really? Because two weeks ago, you were on the knees sucking Philly cock. Now, all of a sudden, the Eagles are trash. The Cowboys shouldn't get any respect. The Cowboys are tied for the best turnover differential in the NFL right now at plus five, tied up with the New Orleans Saints, which I forgot to mention while we were talking about that game. Bad as that defense was last year, maybe Dan Campbell's got something going on in getting these boys to play. Micah Parsons having arguably his best game as a pro. Feels like we're saying that these past two weeks. It's scary because that kid is going to be an absolute problem for that defense, and they need it. With the injuries that they have on the D-line, they definitely need someone, a linebacker. All you got is backup players on that D-line. You need a linebacker to get to that quarterback to cause problems, to be disruptive. He is that guy. I like this Dallas Cowboys team as much as I – Anyone outside of Dallas could like the Cowboys. Just give Dak, and unfortunately, you have to give the team the respect when it's due. You absolutely have to give them respect where it's due. And unfortunately for me, that also means that I have to be critical of a team I've been very high on. And Washington went into Orchard Park and got bullied from start to finish in this game. The Bills dominated the Washington football team. They win by three scores. It felt like it could have been worse than that. In points, it was worse than that. I know I'm going to be the last person on this sinking ship, but I'm not sold on the Bills yet. I need to see a little bit more right now. But as for Washington, man, you want to talk about a panic button. They need to, like, stomp it, do whatever they can to hit that thing right now because they are way too talented of a roster to getting the results that they have. They're a bad offsides penalty on Thursday Night Football away last week from being 0-3 right now and being two games out of first place in the NFC East, and being an effectively in a position where they have to sweep Dallas to actually win the division, now at least you have a little bit of room because of that luxury win on Thursday night last week. But I don't think they're even on the same stratosphere as the Cowboys at this point. This defense is the worst in football with the Kansas City Chiefs and Detroit Lions, and that is incredible to say when I thought Washington was going to be the best defense in the NFL. To put in perspective what Wally's talking about, about this Washington defense, like he said, they are the 31st ranked through three weeks. They're averaging 432 yards per game given up. Smaller sample size, I understand that. Last year, they were they were averaging just slightly north of 300 yards allowed at 304. And that was with bad offense with a carousel of, of starting quarterbacks. Taylor Heineke not having the game. 14 of 24, 212, two touchdowns and two interceptions, has a rating of 80.6. Not good. But I'm not going to sit here. Quite frankly, it's very disrespectful, Wally, that you will not get on this Buffalo Bills train. Did you not learn from last year? Josh Allen is a problem. Five total touchdowns. 367 total yards. This guy's a beast. All I'm trying to say is that this Bills team is not as good as people think they are. They're a good team. They're going to win the AFC East. Josh Allen's a good quarterback. 
But people were ready to crown him, and he does not deserve to be crowned yet. He, we told, we, oh, stop it. It's we criticized NFL. Lamar Jackson for being bad in the postseason. Where's the criticism for Josh Allen? He won a game. He so won did, a game. So did Lamar. Now. No, we, we, now. Have to, we have to hold everybody to the same bar. Whoa, Josh whoa, whoa, whoa. Allen needs whoa, to be held to higher standards. Lamar's not won a playoff game yet. Yeah, he did. He beat Tennessee last year. Did he? Yes. No way. Yes. I thought they lost again. They won in Tennessee. No, they fucking didn't. They lost. Yes, they did. They 28-12, 28-12. The Ravens beat Tennessee in Tennessee last year in a postseason. Bet me any amount of money. Why the fuck is this not showing up then? They they beat them in the first game last year. I can't remember the damn score though. Good. Fucking keep that energy then. Well, uh, keep uh, the energy with saying they've won? No, no, keep that keep that fucking energy because look who they fucking lost to. Yeah, Josh Allen beat him. Yeah, they so beat them. I never said they didn't. And guess who played like shit too in that game? Who? Josh Allen. Oh, sorry, I was too busy looking at the fucking W that they got. But I just found out that Lamar never had him, so keep that same energy. Cool. He has more playoff wins in one playoff than Lamar Jackson has in his four-year career currently. Okay, so now two versus one. Is it two to one or is it three to one? Because like we're, we're now we're going to crown it. I think they had a bye, so I think they're two and one. Okay, because I was just going to say, like, he's won two playoff games in his entire career. Why is that all of a sudden worth crowning the guy? I'm not sitting here telling you to crown him. That was my whole point. I don't want to crown Lamar or uh, Josh Allen yet. Yeah, and I'm cool with that. But then don't be like, oh, well, Lamar Jackson's like, dude, he beat Lamar Jackson. And then he went and won another playoff game to go to the AFC Championship game. His team beat Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen had 10 points through three quarters last year. But they caught a dub. I don't care with the offenses that Lamar Jackson is running and everyone crowning him as this spectacular talent that, oh, he's so good. He's, gonna, Have I? he's winning Have MVP. I? No. That's my point. You are missing my point. My point is that neither of these guys should be held to that level, yet they both should be criticized. But Josh Allen is a better quarterback. I would rather have Josh Allen on my roster than Lamar Jackson. Fact. I would rather have Josh Allen, but it doesn't do you any good because neither are Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. All right, where the fuck were we? Well, now we have to change gears because I'm looking forward to this. Your boy, your bitch, Justin Fields, getting smacked around. I should say sacked around because he had a couple sacks in his face, if you know what I'm saying. My man gets sacked nine times. and We were not kidding talking about how horrible the Chicago Bears offensive line is. Justin Fields and that offense were held to 47 total yards in the rookie's debut. The Bears are dysfunctional. Matt Nagy is falling and grabbing onto the air rope like it's going to do something. This guy's already looking for his next job. But man, the Browns came out to play defensively. Baker didn't do anything too, too crazy. He just had a good game, not turning the ball over. Odell having his first game. Five receptions for 77 yards. But man, did I love seeing the stat line of just the Bears, 47 total yards, and just, oh, I wanted to pull like, oh, let me taste your tears, Scott Tellerman, with my buddy Adam Alfonso. Shout out to you, bud. I was kind of gassing you guys up a little bit. He ain't it. He ain't it. Y'all need an offensive line. 
man. But, hey, got to give it to the Bears' defense. They had five sacks themselves, 14 sacks total in this game, four and a half to Miles Garrett, another two to Jadavion Clowney. Man, the Bears are worse than we thought, and the Browns really starting to kick into the high gear. I think this is a good game for them to win, get the morale up after losing to Kansas City while watching Kansas City plummet. This Brown team's got to be feeling good about themselves. They should be feeling good about themselves, and – they beat a very good defense. The Bears defense, similar to what the Steelers is, is being wasted on a very bad offense. And that's a shame because Khalil Mack looks finally like he feels back to what he used to be. They're playing him the position that he should be again. And that's awesome. Problem is, that offensive line, when you consider the fact that the sacks in the yards that go into that, they had one passing yard on Sunday. I mean, what the hell can you say to that? I saw another Benjamin Albright tweet he brought up that Justin Fields had five-man pass protections on 60% of his snaps. That is not how you acclimate a quarterback who has arguably one of the worst offenses in the league. There's not a lot of skill there. There's not a lot of offensive line there. So what do you do? You have to design rollouts. You design quick passes. You give any kind of opportunity to protect your quarterback from being hit. And they did the exact opposite. I'm going to try to put that in my head for a minute because i got a couple nice things I want to say about the Browns. Odell coming back and looking like he did was very exciting. He looked really good on the sideline, which we knew he would. That's one of his strengths. He always seems to know where his feet are, and that's just something that is so hard to be taught. It's just you have it or you don't. But I got three words for you, Stephen. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Defensive Rookie of the Year. This kid is special. If you watch that game even a little, your eyes were tractor beamed to him. He always was around the ball. He's plays so fast. I mean, I'm starting to believe that either the Cleveland Plain Dealer or somebody in the Cleveland Clinic leaked that heart problem for him going into the draft process because there's no way this guy should have been a second-round pick. The Browns got a really good one. And talk about how great this period of time is to be a Browns fan. You look like you got a special, special player on that defense. Offensively, too, we got to give the shout-out to Kareem Hunt. 155 total yards on 16 touches and got a touchdown. Nick Chubb didn't have a bad game. He only averaged 3.8 yards per carry. But when you're able to have that second person come in, man, this Browns team, as long as they can stay healthy in the backfield, I'm excited for this Browns team. I'm more excited for my friends to be hyped because now they they can ride the train of having a good, competent team. Stefanski's got his boys playing right now. And that was a hell of a name, man. Good for you. How many times did you have to run that through your head? And how many times did you have to type that into Google so you can hear what it sounded like? I wanted the Raiders to draft him. So I actually had that name in the back of my head. I really like Trayvon Morig, too. So I'm not even upset with the safety we got. But when he had that report about his heart and he started trickling down draft boards, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, J-O-K. Everybody wants him. And get used to hearing that because he's already got the J-O-K and Joker nicknames in Cleveland. Household name. Get used to hearing it. Speaking of household names, though, arguably the best kicker in NFL history. One-upped his legacy on Sunday. The Lions. God, you poor Lion fans. And I know that there are a few of you out there. I don't know what to tell you after a game like this. You beat what a lot of people think is a solid Ravens team. I don't think they're that great. But regardless, you start the year 
with the three games you have, and you have the fight that you have, the only thing I can say positive for you is that Dan Campbell at least has that locker room playing for him. That's a good place to start. But for the Ravens, you have to at least start with Justin Tucker. 66-yard fuel off the crossbar to win this game when all hopes seem lost. I, there's nothing you can say about the guy. He's the best kicker probably in NFL history. I think a lot of people, if he's not one, he's two. Maybe Adam Vinatieri because of the clutch field goal factor. But my God, this guy's just so consistently good. And he missed a kick early in this game, like a short 40-something yarder with the CBS jinx. And naturally, what's the guy do to kind of get that off his back, so to speak? He hits a 66 freaking yard field goal to win the game. Did you get to see that, or did you have to see that on replay later? That was a game where every other game basically ended, and it's like, well, here's some bonus coverage before the 425 game started. Like, you said it best. These Lions fans, my goodness, but there's that split half second to a second where they're like, fuck yeah, he missed it, and then all of a sudden the ball is hitting the back of the net, and they're like, wait, what? what the fuck? The videos of people who bet on the Ravens, it was hilarious. I wish I was a part of that. I can't wait till the next time I get to witness that. But Dan Campbell, come on. You have to know, when you get knocked down, this is the guy's kneecap you're talking about. You got to come up and bite it because he came up and bit you in the ass. Justin Tucker was amazing. Lamar Jackson, 52% completions, 287. One touchdown, one interception, sacked four times. As well as the Ravens were 1-10 on third down. This line team is that team that you should pick on all year. Maybe they're the Carolina Panthers or the Chargers of last year. Simply in the fact that they are just going to lose a lot of one-possession games, a.k.a. that means that they're going to cover the spreads a lot. We should keep our eyes on that as long as they're not eclipsing the four-and-a-half wins this year. Because you guys know I got that bet on there. Jared Goff, 22 of 30, 217. DeAndre Swift and... Jamal Williams combined for 35 touches, 100, 174 yards, two touchdowns. I want to pose this to you. I know I don't want to do too much, talk about it too much because we'll get to it. Are the Lions getting naggy fired on Sunday? Monday. Actually, no, Sunday. If you lose to the Lions, you got to cut them right there. Don't even go to the locker room, Matthew. Come here. I got your bags back. Get the fuck out. See, it's so weird because that game, I think, is going to end up being my drop when we get to it eventually just because... You're looking at an offense in the Bears that has been so inept so far that people are already trying to throw the bus word around for Justin Fields five quarters into his NFL career. Then you go against the worst defense in the NFL in the Lions. What's going to give there? I'm not really sure. I don't think the Lions are going to be able to move the ball much. I think more or less that under is going to be the safe play, but we will get into that more. I just don't know. I really don't know. I have not decided yet who I'm picking, and that's 30 minutes away. The Tennessee Titans, on a nice two-game win streak, coming back against Seattle last week, getting a divisional W against the Colts, which I look like a fucking idiot for picking because now they are 0-3. But we play 17 games, neither here nor there. The biggest loss outside of the actual loss, Quentin Nelson leaving the game early with a high ankle sprain. As you know, he had that foot injury similar to Carson Wentz here in the beginning of the season, was able to start the season. We'll see how long he's going to be out here. Carson went struggling, 19 and 37, 194, 38.4 QBR. My goodness. Tennessee turns the ball over three times. You have to take advantage. You still lose by nine. 
and they turn the ball over three times. Tennessee Titans lose to A.J. Brown to a hamstring injury, thus throwing Derrick Henry right back into his normal row. But Julio Jones is still very, very quiet. Can we start seeing Tennessee go on a roll here? And are the Colts just at a complete downfall at this point? I think that the Titans are going to win this division still. You guys know I was very confident in that going into this. I don't think that they are as good as I expected them to be. It's just a simple fact that the Colts are at this point even worse than I thought they were. I think this could be the division that you could actually see a 9-8 and winner. And I think Tennessee might be that team to do it. It's going to come down to these two teams and the way that Carson Wentz and that offense has looked. And especially now that there's rumors swirling about what Jim Ursay believes about the future of Carson Wentz in the quarterback position in Indianapolis. That's just a really uncomfortable situation already, especially at 0-3, which we talked about hard knocks last week. Live hard knocks for an imploding Colts team that might be only a couple games out of the AFC South Championship because of the Titans' own struggles. I think that could be a lot of fun. We'll see, though. I, I still need to... Tennessee, they got bum-rushed in Week 1. Then you come back against a Seattle team that I'm not exactly high on. I need to see more out of them before I'm willing to say that this team is back on track. They might go on a run. But the Colts, though, man, with this injury, especially to Q, I don't know what to say. He's arguably the best interior offensive lineman in football. You can't afford to lose a guy like that. And then when Marlon Mack is now going to be moved out, you don't have a lot of that running back depth now. I mean, Naheem Himes is still there. Jonathan Taylor, young, doesn't have a lot of the hits on the body quite yet. But you still like to have that third back. I know that's a lot of me just saying Tennessee's still better. Colts, look out. Could get ugly this year. Is Frank right on the hot seat if he can't get it right? I absolutely think so. Yes, 100%. He's been given a shit show. You had Andrew Luck. Oh, well, now you have Jacoby Brissett. Well, now you have Carson Wentz. Oh, sorry, Jacoby Brissett. Well, now you have Phillip Rivers. Oh, now you have Carson Wentz. This looks like the Houston Texans before they had Deshaun Watson where DeAndre Hopkins had a different quarterback every game. It's unfair, but what you have to think about too is that he's the guy that's supposed to be your quarterback whisperer in this situation. You have a great defense. You have a very good offensive line when healthy. Assuming when T.Y. Hilton gets back too, you have at least functional wideouts. I mean, they're not really that good. But you expect him to make that quarterback position an asset and not a liability. And that's where I think the problem's going to be. Carson Wentz has been a liability for much of his career, at least in the last few years. But I think they might be going down on the same ship. We'll go now to the Chargers and Chiefs, a game I think I looked forward to most, at least this week, just because I feel like this is arguably the best two teams in all of the AFC playing each other, if not at least two of the top three, top four teams. The Chiefs' defense continues to be a major concern for them. They do, and I should point out first, and this is the most important news, Andy Reid was rushed to the hospital after the game, had a little bit of chest discomfort. He was released. It sounds like nothing serious. He actually went back to practice today, which is Tuesday. So, speedy recovery to him. I'm glad that he is back. Whether he's a rival or not, Andy Reid is just awesome for the game. He's one of everybody's favorite coaches in the NFL. The guy is just NFL football. But to the game again, the Chiefs are 1-2. and two. Defense is terrible. Offense is not exactly gelling the way we expected. That offensive line, a lot of new faces, haven't really clicked yet. 
But none of that should take away from what the Chargers did on Sunday. This is a 2-1 team now. Their only loss coming to Dallas, who, again, is a team that I think many people should catch up with and realize how good they are. I think the Chargers might win the AFC West. I look at this as much as I can. I think that they might win the AFC West. They're definitely more balanced than Kansas City is. What do you think? This Kansas City defense is going to be their Achilles heel. They moved up a couple slots here from last week from being the bottom defense in the league to only being the third worst defense in the league. They need to address that. Tyreek Hill was kept in check during that Chargers game. He was only held to five receptions for 56 yards. Do you think that's a solid game for any other receiver who's not top seven in the league? Travis Kelsey coming back, seven receptions and 104 yards. Patrick Mahomes' turnover problems this year. You can't have it. He's had more turnovers in the this first three games here than it's, it seems like the first two years of his NFL starting career. The Kansas City Chiefs right now are fourth in the league with giveaways with six. And they are in a turnover differential of minus two, which is tied for a bottom seven in the league. And it's really funny because we've just been sitting here talking about how hot the Chiefs start. Andy Reid is just undefeated and unbeatable in September. Yet, they lose two in a row, and I never thought I'd be seeing us talk about it or hearing us talk about how the Chiefs have lost two in a row, especially when we're talking about it in September. It's never time to hit the panic button when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. And, man, timing is everything. What a great game to get right back in your emotions of going back to Philadelphia where Andy Reid was let go. You know Andy Reid's ready. You know those Kansas City Chiefs are ready, licking their chomps after watching how horrible the Eagles are. But I don't want to give too much foreshadowing here. Our next game here on the slate, the Steelers suck. They lose to the Bengals 24-10. Big Ben is horrible. He can't throw a ball across the middle because of this pectoral injury. Juju Smith-Schuster goes out with a rib injury early. Their defense... Clearly is not the same without having T.J. Watt out there pressuring the quarterback here from the edge. On the Bengals side, Jamar Chase, yeah, this guy can't catch a football. All he's done is caught four touchdowns his first three weeks in the NFL. That Joey B. and Jamar Chase, that's a fun little connection. As long as the main man, Joey B., stays healthy, this Bengals team potentially running in to the Ravens for second place in this division and maybe a wild card spot, Walter. I think a wild card spot's not out of the realms of possibility for Cincinnati. Their defense right now, I mean, they're statistically, you know, with the higher analytics we've got in today's football world, they're analytically one of the best defenses through three weeks. Now, how much of that is a factor that they did play at least a very rusty Vikings team to start the year, then you play a very bad Bears offense, and then you play a potentially even worse Steelers one. So I don't think the Bengals' defense is quite that good. I think it's probably about average. And their offense is probably right around there, too, until they can protect Joey Burrow a little bit more. But that's at least a, an obtainable goal. What they don't want to do is do too well and accidentally keep Zach Taylor's job because I think with a good coach, they can actually be something in the future. So I want, for the Bengals' sake, almost to like fall just short of that where they're like, you know what, maybe we should fire Zach Taylor because he still does some things that just makes you scratch your head. But for the Steelers, I mean, Big Ben is washed-washed. He's bad at this stage of the game. I mean, if you look at the actual pass chart from his first half, he did not complete a pass beyond seven yards of the line of scrimmage. That's 
almost unfathomable in today's NFL. And when you're doing that, any defense, it don't matter who you are, they stack that box. Notice how Najee Harris, he's getting the Saquon Barkley treatment and he's getting hit in the backfield left and right. He has the highest NFL rate of getting hit behind the line of scrimmage right now. And it's somewhere absurd. It's like 34, 35%. If a third of your rush attempts are getting hit in the backfield, I mean, you can't win. You are going to be a bad football team. I don't really know where you go from here because you already have seen Mason Rudolph. You're not going to bring in Mason and get basically more of the same. This is where me being an idiot again is going to come through. If you can't move and make a trade for a veteran quarterback, literally right now, I mean within the next week or two, why not at least see what you have in Dwayne Haskins? Because you know what you have in Mason Rudolph. And Big Ben's done. You're going to hurt his feelings. It's going to be uncomfortable. But if you continue to just trot him out there on Sundays, this is a four or a five win team, not the eight or a nine win team we initially thought. Cam Newton getting a call? Why not? I, I don't disagree. Why not? Well, I don't really agree. It's not going to help anything. But if your O-line is that bad, you're going to need a bruiser and Cam. It physically can't hurt. At this point, no. You said it best. You know what we have with Mason Rudolph. We know to an extent what we have in Dwayne Haskins. You always have to believe in second chances. Maybe that off. Maybe he's really catching on to that offense great. At this point, why not? You brought Big Ben back. He, you clearly fucked up. You noticed that instantly. It's like when you go to Chipotle really hungover and you take that first bite and you're like, I have to shit my pants already. I regret this instantly. That's what this is. Right after week one, they're like, shit. Well, maybe not week one, week two. Oh, wow. Well, we beat we beat the Bills. Maybe Big Ben is. Oh, and there he is. All right. One quarterback getting disrespected to a quarterback who is constantly disrespected and only doing nothing but leading the NFL in passing yards right now. Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders going to OT Thriller against the Jacoby Brissett-led Miami Dolphins, who were visiting... Nonetheless, Wally's still embarrassing. I don't care. As Jacoby Brissett, well, he's a starting quarterback caliber. Yeah, I don't care. It's the Miami Dolphins traveling to you. You can't have this close. Derek Carr, watch out for this man. Peyton Barber having the game of his life. When we didn't even think that he was still on an NFL roster up until this point. Miami falling back. Never thought that they would miss two as much as they do. Your boys are 3-0, Wally. I'm going to leave it up to you, man. Raiders fans, unfortunately, know Peyton Barber was on the roster because we've been seeing him slammed one yard in front of the line of scrimmage for the last several weeks. On It just seemed like the most uncreative rush designs I've ever seen. Just brutal. The Raiders, though. The, I, I was watching NFL Live earlier today, and Mina Kimes actually said two things that I thought were so well put that I have not heard people say about the Raiders quite yet. And we are probably, first of all, looking at a Raiders team that at the time had three very impressive wins. But then when you look back and you use revisionist history, it's not a very good Steelers team. That's not a very good Ravens team, or at least one that Lamar hasn't been able to figure it out so far this year. Then you play a Miami team with Jacoby Brissett, like you said. The defense is right in the middle of the road, statistically. And I guess that is a step up. But is it an actual step up, or has this been a product of who they've been playing? 
I really am hoping that this is at least steps. We'll see a little bit more against LA on Monday night. I don't think that this defense is as good as people think that it is. This is a much worse defense than people want to believe. Gus Bradley has them playing well right now. Casey Hayward being brought in. He looks like a comeback player of the year right now, the way he's been. I'm worried. I'm worried about the defense. But I want to run into the offense real quick before I throw it back to you here. The offense and Derek Carr right now, they're throwing more this year. They're kind of like letting him free a little bit more than we have in the past. And part of that has been the emergence of Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs has taken the top off defense every week now. Even when he's not catching the ball, these fly routes are opening up things for the rest of the offense. I'm fired up about this Raiders offense. I just am a little bit cautiously optimistic about the state of the entire team. I've got a really bad feeling we're going to come in next week to like a 38-24 to Chargers win, Steven. Real quick on the Dolphins, though. This is a team that's lost without a quarterback. It is such a painful trend in the NFL right now. But without an actual viable option at quarterback, this is another very, at least, decent. It is a very capable defense that is being wasted. That's not going to change until they figure it out. I just hope that they get enough more enough reps with Tua this year that they can figure out that he's not the guy. Is this Dolphins season salvageable? And how excited should I allow myself to get over the Raiders? Any season is salvageable. There's how many times have we seen teams start the one and two, the one and three, two and four type deal. And they're able to kind of make that run in the season. Now, Miami, this is not a deficit you want to put yourself in, in a division where obviously the Jets are, oh man, they, you have to earn that fourth place spot. And then let me tell you, the Jets are really earning that right now. We'll see how the Patriots are doing. But yeah, I think it, there's a little bit of panic. You have two with Tonga Vailoa. Out with injury, but I don't, don't know what he's going to look like. That offense looked horrible last week, and then this week they're looking a little bit better. But you have games against the Colts, the Buccaneers, the Jags I expect you to win, the Falcons I expect you to win, Bills, game against the Texans I expect you to win, then the Ravens, and then you have the Jets. So there's possibility that by the time Tua comes back, you could be that 5-4, and 4-5 four, four and five area, maybe make a run. But if New England gets hot... Watch out. The Bills are going to win that division. So you're fighting potentially for that second or third spot where that second spot maybe, maybe that's a wild card spot with the way the AFC West is looking. Third place, you are a definite no with that. I have the panic button. I would argue a little bit, you're a little bit more panicked than you are if you're a Seattle fan. Not for your Raiders, man. You got to have the hype. You got to hold on to it. You have to enjoy this. You have to enjoy the journey, not the destination. Because how many times has the journey been more fun than the more fun than the destination? That's probably the past three years. Ever since Derek Carr broke his leg, where the Raiders, it's almost like it's that fake that fake spring up here, right? You have winter. You're like, oh hell yeah, it's really warm. We have spring starting early. Nope, here's another two weeks of snow. That's what the Raiders do to you every year. Like, hell yeah, this is the year. Look at us. We're five and two, and now we're five and seven. What the fuck just happened? So enjoy it. Enjoy it as much as you can. I think this Raiders team is is very, very fun to watch. Defensively, like you said, you know the Achilles heel, but somehow they're getting it done. I dog Lamar Jackson on his passing. That's a team that he was smoking the last two years. 
couldn't get it done. The Miami team is going to beat you defensively. Derek Carr was able to get around it. Sneak preview. I want from you. How do the Raiders look against the Chargers this week? Because even with the loss, I think that I'm excited if they look good. I don't want to bet against the Chargers as of right now. They're starting off hot. Now, that will be the best defense that you'd be playing up until this point outside of Pittsburgh, who you guys took care of handily with TJ Watt being out. I don't care. You got to take it as they, as they come. This is a true test. Defense, you can throw that out the window, but your defense is, has to make plays because that's what the Chargers defense is doing right now. They are making plays. There will be no shortage of points. I can promise you that. Whoever the team is, and I'm going to go with one turnover. I can see this game being a one turnover as the separator for this. Derek Carr's killing it. So I'm going to ride on Derek Carr right now. Even though Justin Herbert's my boy long-term for the Dark Horse MVP candidate, I'm going to ride with Derek Carr because now he's finally going to get some respect here. Only what? Eight years too late? I was going to say, like 11th year in, something like that. Yeah. But the team I'm always giving respect to, which – I've been very high on as much as I can remember. L.A. Rams visiting Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That scoreline doesn't really dictate how that game went. The Rams had it from start to finish. Sean McVay leading his team into halftime with the, with the lead. You already know how that goes. Dude's undefeated when he has the halftime lead. So you know he's going to keep coming. Are the Rams this best team in the NFL right now? You're not going to second guess the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know what they can do. Tom Brady not having a Tom Brady game as we're used to seeing. Yeah, he had 432 yards. The dude is throwing 55 attempts. Right now, Tom Brady is leading the league in pass attempts right now with 141. You know what's really funny? Derek Carsecki, you know who's third, Wally? Ben Roethlisberger. No way! Ben Roethlisberger has 130 attempts. The dude's had a torn pectoral muscle the past week and a half, and he's still doing that. Tom Brady's leading... The league in pass attempts. I love it. You're trying to get your offense pass heavy. You have a plethora of running backs that you could use in that backfield. I don't think Tampa Bay has started the season off correctly using the schemes. I get it. Your wide receiving core is filthy. You have a decent offensive line with that three-headed running monster of Gio Bernard, Leonard Fournette, and Rojo when he's not in the doghouse. I'm not ready to write the Bucs off. I am very much ready to write the Rams as the NFC favorite and the most complete team in the NFL right now. I think without a doubt they're the most complete team in the NFL. And I will start with the Rams. They are loaded on both sides of the ball. I initially picked the 49ers to win that division and actually come out of the NFC. I might be doing a little bit of a pivot here. I can't do that. You know I'm going to naturally take San Francisco because it was my pick. But if you made me choose at this moment, I think I'd probably pick the Rams. And the fact that they do have that home field tiebreaker with the Bucks now, that is significant because you now have that that extra, I guess, game in hand if you are tied, and and that is huge. But as for the Buccaneers, real quick, if it was a normal quarterback that his name wasn't Tom Brady, I'd be nervous about how many pass attempts he's had. But the guy takes care of his body so well, I'm not even going to let the age scare me there. I think they'll figure it out. I think this team is going to start running the ball more. I think this is almost the situation where mom's out of town for the weekend. 
dads at home, so everybody's kind of doing whatever the hell they want right now in Tampa Bay. Like, you just won the Super Bowl. Bruce Arians is the cool coach. Everybody's back. It's natural that the offense is almost a little bored and kind of just playing. It's like Madden in real life right now, the way they're playing the game, just going back and slinging it. But I think a loss was honestly, in a weird way, good for Tampa Bay. I think that this is going to kind of refocus them. And I think you will see a more concerted rush attempt this week. Because I can't even remember off the top of my head. I have it right here pulled up. Yeah, Rojo had five attempts for 11 yards. Fournette had four attempts for eight. I mean, that's just not going to get it done. they got to be better than that. And I think they will be. But you asked me, best team in the NFC? I think at this moment, I will go with the Rams. But your team, your boys, going to San Francisco for a potential matchup with two other teams that are right there in that mix for best team in the NFC. The Packers finally kind of exercised some demons and get a win out there in San Francisco. Took all they had not to blow that game. But I'm going to hand it to you first. Aaron Rodgers, the guy's unreal. Some of the passes that you saw him make, especially in that second half, and that pass he made to Devontae Adams on the final drive, 25 yards downfield, and it just dropped in the bucket over a deep inside zone middle linebacker. Incredible throw. How are you right now? Fucking dimes. Dimes. That's all I was yelling. That throw to Marquez Veldez-Scaling to start the fourth quarter to hit that touchdown. So my girlfriend had just rolled over to go to sleep. She's like, good night. I'm going to sleep. 20 seconds later, he throws that pass. I jump out of the bed and just say, fucking dime. And Kylie's like, I just told you I was going to sleep. And I was like, you did that 20 seconds ago. I know I still had this in me that I could yell. The dude's incredible. Yes, he missed a couple throws, but Aaron Rodgers was throwing dimes all over the fucking map from start to finish. Yes, there's a lot of P.I. calls that went against San Francisco that extended a lot of drives that ultimately resulted in touchdown scores for the Green Bay Packers. I don't give a shit. You know what they didn't call? The late hit helmet-to-helmet to Devontae Adams in the fourth quarter, which didn't fucking matter because he comes back two clutch catches in that fourth quarter drive. 37 seconds left with zero timeouts to set up Mason Crosby, the clutchest kicker in Green Bay history. For a nice 50-plus, 49-yard field goal to put the Green Bay Packers 2-1 and one on the season. Packers are looking good. There's still a lot of questions on the defense with Zadarius Smith being out. Jari Alexander had an interception this game, looking good as always. The one thing I'm very happy about, and every Packer fan should be, is the makeshift offensive line. Only having Aaron Rodgers sacked once in that game. Which I'll take, because I feel like if any time we go up there, we're getting sacked minimum three to four times. A half. This is a good game to win for the Packers. I wouldn't necessarily give the Steve Young monkey off my back Super Bowl win after Joe Montana. I know the irony is right there. I want to give it that, but this is a nice foundation of winning and giving you a new vibe for the season. And how could you not be romantic about fo- football, Aaron Rodgers said. The San Francisco team is who we thought they were. It took a couple games to get there. They are a solid team. And it's really funny because now I wonder how that locker room is because Jimmy G goes down. Not really having a great game, right? They go into the break down 10 points. The only touchdown that they had scored was a Trey Lance rushing touchdown that they brought him into. Before that 37 seconds that Aaron Rodgers took over, Jimmy G was that guy and it looked like he cemented that. But now 
Are they kind of second-guessing bringing Trey Lance in that game a little bit more often? I feel like there's going to be a lot more controversy in that. And, man, 28 must be that evil number for Kyle Shanahan. I think that he almost did this on purpose, though, as a way to kind of slide into controversy and be like, oh, man, you know what? Trey Lance does look pretty good, actually. Maybe we will go to him. Because remember, I said that about halfway through the season – that I thought that he would go to Trey Lance or whoever he felt would give them the best chance to win a Super Bowl. Watching these brief reps, you already know the answer is Trey Lance. Everybody watching that game knows the answer is Trey Lance. I won't harp on that. I think he will be there soon. But for you real quick, before because you've said everything we ever need to say, you really missed an opportunity, first of all, to say San Francisco is going to sleep when you were yelling at your girlfriend. But on top of that... You also get to see Green Bay. It might not be the monkey off your back winning in San Francisco, but to see them learn to win on the road there, that can at least help you invaluably when it comes to that experience if you do end up matching up with them in the playoffs this year. A lot of good to come out of this, and at least everybody can kind of take a deep breath after that first week loss. And after hearing about how disinterested and how apathetic he was in Green Bay, to see the reaction Aaron Rodgers had to that kick going through the uprights, I think says all you need to know about that guy's competitiveness, and I wouldn't be worried about this guy mailing it in like some talking heads wanted you to believe that he would. I couldn't agree more. The emotion Aaron Rodgers was showing, that's that's what you want to see. Especially when it's your team that you're watching and all the drama that you know the Packers fans like myself have been going through this offseason. San Fran is going to be there at end of December early January. This is going to be potentially the team to beat. This win feels nice. So I remember last year, Green Bay beat San Francisco. They had none of their starters, so it was a bittersweet victory, but this one tastes a lot better. But I'm not going to want to face that football team towards the end of the season because you always see it. Teams that start off slow that are good like this will end up getting hot. You never want to play them again when the team had beat you previously that year. But this is the case. That means they have to come to Green Bay's home in the frozen tundra if we get that far. We'll see how we'll see how Aaron Rodgers and the playoffs are looking, how the defense is looking. Hopefully that offensive line for the Packers are also peaking at that time. Jimmy G, 25 of 40, 257, two touchdowns, interception, four sacks, and one ridiculous fumble. Now, Tottis, my guy Tottis, that's not a dumb rule, dude. Read a fucking book. Do you know how long they've been calling that? It was just a very unfortunate ruling. Agreed. But it's the rules. This isn't Des caught it and that was the rule, so it's not a catch. No, these are the rules. That shit's a fumble. And it was hilarious watching because you will probably never see that ruling ever again. Jimmy G going to throw it. It looks like he's almost tucking it, but then it slips out of his hands, which the arm's going forward. So that's incomplete. False. He ends up getting turned around or the ball is getting thrown behind him, which any football head knows, if a ball is thrown backwards, that is, that's called a fumble. That's called a fumble. I don't think fumble. it was close. I, I'm with you, dude. I don't think it was even a question. If the ball leaves your hand at point A, and it literally goes backwards on its path to the ground, it is a lateral. End of story. Thank you. But I just want to dog my boy Tottis on that, because he was upset. About that call. I love the call personally. I don't understand why he was so upset about it. I think he had the under. That's why. But at the same time. Oh, if I had the under, I would completely agree. That's a terrible call. Don't don't pick sides here, Wally. But now I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. Because I want you to pick sides on this next segment. 
We are done with the week three recap. Now moving on to the week four picks. What the hell's going on out here? They have a lot of interesting games. Personally, I don't really like a lot of these lines. As well as you can tell, I kind of switched up my whole gambling aspect of it. But unfortunately, tell us how we have done the last couple weeks or this past week. Yeah, I can't remember your exact number off the top of my head last week, but you were something like 14 and 8 or something like that. Do you remember? And there you go. You finally got your crack in there. You were up a couple units last week. I was down a unit or two. From now on, I'm going to start doing more where I can give you guys like specific numbers here. So, for instance, Steven this week, he picked 17 games. He picked one game twice. He was really confident. He went 2-0 and in that game for the record. But he went 8-9 and overall. He was down about 1.7 units. I went 20 and 12 because I picked each game spread and each game money line. Had a good week. I went, I was north of six units, about six and change. If you're betting $100 a game, which is usually a unit I'm throwing out there, you're up 600 bucks on the weekend. That's about as good as it gets on an NFL Sunday. I hope we can do the same this week, but at the very least, Steven, let's just get above that Mendoza line. Let's get above that. Zero. That's all we we call to win at that point. I'm just trying to get my head above water. It's going to start off here Thursday night. Jacksonville Jaguars visiting the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are seven and a half point favorites at home. I feel like this is one of the only games that Jacksonville can actually be competitive in and not get points, yards, etc. from garbage time. I feel like this is a real opportunity. I don't like the seven and a half right now. The touchdown Thursday night games like this are way, way too sketchy. I'm just going with the Cincinnati money line. I feel like that's the safest bet in this game. I think you're right that it's absolutely the safest bet here. But I'm going to tell you why you got to go unsafe. Take the money line, but you also take the Bengals to minus seven and a half. If you are a Joe Burrow fan, if you are a Bengals fan, whip out that lotion, lock the doors, shut the blinds, you got three hours of fun coming on Thursday night. You're about to see what the future can look like on that offense. I imagine that offensive line is going to be able to hold up better against that Jacksonville front better than a lot of teams they play early in the year. If that happens, we're looking at a 3-1 and one Cincinnati Bengals team. About a quarter of the way. Not This is a shame, too, that we have 17 weeks now. Because 16 games was perfect. You felt like, all right. We have four quarters of a season, and you can really look at it that way. Now, all of a sudden, you got like an overtime game, 10 a year. But if you were a quarter of the way through the season as a Bengals fan, and you were 3-1, and one, and you have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is about the dream scenario to the start of the year. Bengals minus 7.5. They win big in this game. Feel good about it. The Jaguars, until they prove it, fade them. Fade them hard. Next game, Washington football team is traveling to Atlanta. This one surprised me, but Atlanta is a point and a half favorite in this game. I'm going Washington football team money line and the plus one and a half. I'm riding and dying on this hill with Washington. I think that Atlanta sucks, and I just think that this is a great opportunity for the Washington defense to kind of get right, and I think they do that. I think they win, and I think that the offense doesn't look great, but they do enough. You're looking at like a 24 17-ish kind of win here. It's Atlanta. I like the Washington football team to bounce back in this game. Yes, they are going down to Atlanta. And this team is horrible. Talk about two horrible defenses. 
two of the bottom eight defenses right now through the first three weeks. Honestly, I'm expecting Taylor Heineke to have a little bit of a bounce back game. I like the Washington football team at plus one and a half here as well. That offensive line for the Atlanta Falcons is giving me no hope that they can keep Matt Ryan upright. The lack of the production that Kyle Pitts has had here, maybe this is the game that he blows up, and I'm putting both my feet in my mouth. I really hope not because maybe this is also the game that the Washington football team's defense starts to get it clicking. I trust Washington more at this point. Honestly, at this point through the past year and a half we're doing this, but through the first three weeks. I'm going Washington at plus one and a half in this game. We're riding or dying on this one together. Just like this next game, we have the the Detroit Lions going to Chicago and Soldier Field, where the Chicago Bears are three-point favorites. I never really thought I I was going to see Chicago as a favorite this week. Kind of like what I was saying and foreshadowing for this particular moment, maybe Detroit is that team that charges the Carolinas of last year where they have a lot of one-possession games lost. This is one of them. This is a team that plays complete games, no matter if they're down 31-10 at one point or if they're down to the Baltimore Ravens, which it doesn't really seem like any team can keep up with half the time. I like the Detroit Lions at plus three in this game. It's a divisional matchup, so you know I love taking that field goal. And, man, does the Chicago Bears offensive line suck? Yes, the recent release of Jamie Collins from the Detroit Lions, is that really going to impact their defense as a whole? Because they've surprisingly, they just shut down Lamar Jackson. Under 55% completion percentage. Sacked four times. One interception. Based off what I just saw the Bears do in Cleveland, not that the Lions are going to put up nine sacks, but you know what that pain point is. That's the offensive line. You make a rookie quarterback uncomfortable, you will win this game. Jared Goff, never thought I'd say this, just like I'd say Sam Darnold had the better quarterback play in that Carolina game. Jared Goff could have the better quarterback play in this game, especially when you have Chicago saying, well, we could have Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, or Justin Fields starting. You guys are in a complete downfall at Detroit plus three. Dan Campbell's ripping kneecaps off this game finally. If Justin Fields doesn't start on Sunday, heads should roll. And that's why I'm not even going to put a contingency bet in like I did last week because... I'm that confident that you have to, at this point, ride with your rookie quarterback. If you put him in, he is now there. He's your guy. You can't bench him now. I have it written down on our sheet. You guys can't see it, but I have Detroit plus three in Moneyline. I told you 30 minutes ago I wasn't sure. I changed my mind. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm taking the Bears, and I'm taking them to cover the three. We talked about how bad this defense has been for Detroit. I think this is going to be the closest option and opportunity for Justin Fields to actually have a decent game early in his career and hopefully build a little rapport. So like I said, I'm putting my money where the mouth is. You know that Soldier Field crowd is going to be really round up, really excited for another potential home game win. And I think they get it done. I think they do get to 2-2. Two and two, Cover the spread of three points and money line. I just, until I see Detroit actually get over the hump, I don't think I can actually confidently bet on them to do it. So I'm not going to do that there. Then the Tennessee Titans, they're seven and a half point favorites going to MetLife to face the New York Jets. Man, I really want to say that seven and a half seems like a lot of points, but right now the Jets look kind of just out of their depth. 
The talent doesn't seem to even be comparable to other teams right now. They're losing games in a, in in ways that you don't see often, just because they're just completely outclassed at every level of the of the field right now. I think it continues. I think that Tennessee is going to be able to run the ball at will in this game if they choose to. Tennessee wins this game very, very big, something like 34 to 10. I'm a little bit split on this game. I know I have the Tennessee money line that I'm picking right now, even though I just got burnt by this fire last week. I think I like the Jets at plus seven. Surprisingly, yes, the Jets have a absolutely horrible giveaway problem. Because they have given the ball up seven times. But it's really funny because they're tied second with the Tennessee Titans who have given the ball up seven times. Tennessee Titans turnover differential minus six. The Jets are at minus five. So it's a sloppy game. The Jets have a top 10 passing defense right now as well as they have a top 12 rushing defense. It's a small sample size, but any time that the Jets are ranked this high against any competition because of how bad and how untalented their roster is, interesting to look at i like the tennessee titans to win this money line but i'm going to take the jets to cover at this plus seven and a half i think that's too much stop me if you've heard this before too much for an nfl game said that last week about the ten and a half and was i fucking wrong i could be wrong again this week but i'm very confident tennessee money line the new york jets at plus seven and a half the next game we have the cleveland browns visiting the minnesota vikings who had a very nice win against the Seattle Seahawks a week prior. The Browns are two-point favorites against a Minnesota defense that we've said over and over again. They are just not the same team as we're accustomed to seeing. That Browns defense is riding that high and dismantling the Chicago Bears. I like the Browns minus two here. We'll see how Dalvin Cook is looking on that injury report if he is going to play. If he does play, I'm very much assuming that this line is going to be changing. I'm also assuming that Dalvin Cook is in the plans to start. Right now, I like the Browns minus two. I said here that they're going to go on a streak of winning 10 in a row, so I'm not going to change the beat of this drum. This is the game that's going to make Browns fans finally feel a little bit satisfied from their team performance. I feel like the last two wins have kind of left a little to be desired because they want to feel like that world beater. They want to feel like that Super Bowl threat. And I think this is the game that they're actually going to get there. JOK is going to be a problem. I think he looks even better this week than he did last week. And beyond that, I think that you're going to see more of the problems, I guess, with that Minnesota defense. I talked about how they are marginally improved, and they have looked a little better than they were last year. But that's not saying much. You said it earlier This is not the typical Zimmer defense that we're used to. And I think it continues. The Browns win this game. And I think they win this game, honestly, kind of handily. Somewhere in the neighborhood of like 31-17. Very dominant, very impressive win on the road. Be excited. I think this is where it's finally coming together. And in our next game, the 0-3 Indianapolis Colts are traveling to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are a one and a half point favorite at home. An ugly game. A very ugly game here. I'm going to keep this short. I'm taking the Dolphins to cover and to win outright. I just need to see this Colts team kind of figure it out a little bit. And right now, they kind of seem lost. Carson Wentz, to me, is the easiest guy on earth to bet against because I feel like Vegas has an infatuation in favor of him. So I'm going to ride with that again, and I just think the Dolphins win and, and cover, and I think the problems in Indianapolis get real, real uncomfortable 
when they fall to 0-4. Well, Jacoby Brissett starting in this lineup for however long it may be, I'm surprisingly going with the Colts at plus one and a half. Right now, the Colts are ranked second in their rush defense through three weeks, which is a little bit more impressive than what I thought they were going to be ranked because in the past couple years, it's really been their secondary that has taken their defensive off to that next level. So you take away the run aspect, and then you have the Colts who are slightly better than the Miami Dolphins in the past in the past defense, only allowing 241 yards. I just don't trust Jacoby Brissett enough right now. I liked him when he was in Indy, when he had that starter role. He just does not seem like the same player in that Miami offense. I mean, hell, they had him throwing 49 times against your Vegas Raider, who right now has a worse pass defense than the Colts do right now. The Colts are very, very desperate for a win, and I think that they're going to cover that plus 1.5. I'm even going as far as I'm going to put the Colts' money line, finally get a W in the column, and it's only taking a month into the season. The next game that we have here on the slate, Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys, where the Dallas Cowboys are four-and-a-half-point favorites. I like the Cowboys right now. They're hot. They seem to be that team. They are a Tom Brady special away from being 3-0 and right now, that offense is firing on all cylinders. Dak Prescott has to be ready to go against that secondary. Who had just lost? J.C. Horn. He, he was a stud. He was making an impact in that passing game. You take him out, sure. The Panthers traded for C.J. Henderson from, from the Jaguars. Is he going to be ready to be fully suited up against the Dallas Cowboys? I don't think it matters. I think this is the game that's going to kind of have us pump the brakes on the Carolina Panthers for the time being. I like the four and a half for Dallas. They seem to be firing on all cylinders early here. As long as you can get Amari Cooper involved back in that offense, I can see Dallas potentially picking apart this defense that's ranked number one in the NFL through three weeks in Carolina. I disagree that they'll pick them apart, but I'm with you on the pick. I think the Cowboys win this game in cover but I know this is going to sound foreign to a lot of people. I think it's the Dallas defense that's going to be able to really bring home this win and make the cover comfortable. It's going to be a game like 20 to 13. I think it's kind of low scoring. And that's going to be weird to hear about when a Dallas team is involved. But I do think they win in a lower scoring game. And it's largely part of that defense. The offense does just enough with Dak Prescott to get that cover and get the win for the Cowboys. Our next game, the Giants are playing the New Orleans Saints, who are seven and a half point favorites. This is I, another tricky game for me, just because it is tough to go seven and a half in the NFL for teams like the Giants, because they have a good defense, and you want to at some point believe that defense is going to be able to steal the show. And I think this is a game that they could do it, and that's why I'm actually going to take the Giants money line. And the plus seven and a half. I think they get it done in this game. Think that you're going to see more of these growing pains, early struggles with Jameis. They did get the job done in Foxborough this last weekend, but it wasn't for anything that the offense really did. I think that the defense does enough for the Giants to give him fits, maybe force a turnover or two, and that's going to be enough. Giants finally get off the snide. They have a win in New Orleans. We're starting to really wonder if they're not that good. I want to make sure that you're good. You're picking the Giants over the Saints right now. Oh, I'm doing it. It's not that like I think that you're dogging the Saints. It's more that you're backing the Giants right now. They're ranked fourth in their passing game. Danny Jones really needs to get get it going. 
but third in the rushing. They have no offensive line there in New York. Saquon seemingly can never get it started, no matter who they're playing. I have no confidence that this offense is going to be able to move that ball against this New Orleans team, who, outside of the Carolina game, they're looking nice. They'll be able to play at home or whatever they get to call home at this point. And I think that they are ready. Am I going to, I'm not touching the seven and a half. Hindsight's going to be 2020, where I feel like that seven and a half is a lock, some would say. I'm going to go with the New Orleans money line right now. And I'm not even going to think about touching the spread. The next game where I know I'm touching the spread for a fucking fact Kansas City, six and a half point favorites, which I won't be surprised if this moves up to seven and a half, eight, potentially eight and a half, nine, when it gets to Sunday, visiting. The Philadelphia Eagles, which I said before, Andy Reid going back to Philly. The Kansas City Chiefs coming off back-to-back losses. Huge question marks in that offensive room for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Kansas City Chiefs defense is really, really bad. Bottom three in the league right now. They cannot be that bad where Jalen Hurts is actually putting up the numbers he's been putting up in real time. Because they're all garbage time the last two weeks. Or I guess not just last week. I don't have any confidence in this Eagles. They, those wings have been clipped after last night. Kansas City has to be hungry, going on the road, smashing a lesser opponent, and this has to be it. Kansas City minus six and a half. As a matter of fact, I'm also going to put the over at 55 and a half. So I think the Chiefs are going to put up 40 on them. Yeah, I'll keep this one short. Andy Reid back in Philly, coming off of what he had. Chiefs also having two losses to this point this year. I feel bad for the Eagles. This is going to be about as angry and frustrated as a Chiefs team that anybody's going to see this year. And it's a shame for them. It just so happens to be them who is getting them. And back in Philly, I'm with you. Chiefs win. They win easily. Cover to six and a half. The Houston Texans are traveling to Orchard Park to face those Bills I was dogging earlier. Bills are minus 16 and a half. So naturally, to keep the theme of this episode going, I have Houston plus 16 and a half. And the reason for that is, and Steven's the one I feel like says this every time you see a spread like this, once you get into a three-possession spread in the NFL, I just think that it's such an insult to what these guys are. These are professional athletes. These are NFL football players. And a few years ago, ironically enough, it was the Minnesota Vikings were 16.5-point favorites against the Buffalo Bills in Minneapolis, and the Bills won that game outright. I don't think we get to that point. But I do think that the Houston Texans stay around in this game. They don't win, but they covered a 16 and a half. So I'm not even taking, this is a rare occasion. I'm not taking Bill's money line because there's no value in it. So my only bet for this game is Houston plus 16 and a half. Thank you for echoing what I feel like I've been saying every single week with these large spreads. Yeah, 16 and a half is a lot. The thing is, if this was a 16 and a half with Tyrod Taylor, totally different. I'm not fully on board letting this 16.5 points ride with the, against this Buffalo team. Yes, I'll say it again. Hindsight will, will be 2020 if they end up winning by 30, just like when they had a nice little blowout win against the Washington football team this past week. 16.5? Yeah, I can't take that. I'm staying away from the spread, and Wally said it best. You can take money line, you're just not going to get any value out of it because you're going to have to probably put... $500 to win $100, maybe. Not in my book. I have them at over 47. 
Bills will put up at least 30-plus. Maybe the Texans put up two touchdowns in garbage time. Bada boom, bada bing, you're hitting this over. For me, I'm taking the over 48. I want to stay away from this spread as much as possible. In the case that the Houston Texans pull a Buffalo Bills against the Minnesota Vikings back in 2018 against Buffalo. The first NFC West matchup we have here next, the Arizona Cardinals visiting the LA Rams. So the Rams are six and a half point favorites. The Cardinals seem hot. The Rams are only hotter. I have to give the nod to the better defense in this game, and we all know it's going to be the Rams. Kyler Murray's been on a nice, nice little tear because he's quietly only one of three people that are over the 1,000 mark passing yards in this season already. You got Jalen Ramsey, you're going to play your best receiver, whoever that may be. If it's A.J. Green, if it's D-Hop, it's going to be D-Hop. D-Hop, A.J. Green, Rondell Moore. If anything, who is not in my prop lock and drop it this week, look at Rondell Moore a little bit in fantasy or, or over his reception yards or over his yards in general. I do not, again, do, don't want to touch the spread. Divisional matchup, I feel like this could be decided by seven points in the wrong direction. I'm going to go with the Rams' money line to completely contradict literally what I just said, but just to keep my ass safe here, I'm going Rams' money line. I'm with you. Rams will win this game, but I'm going to tell you why the Cardinals are going to cover. And that is because the Cardinals are coming off what is a glorified bye week in going to Jacksonville. The Rams just played the toughest team, the defending Super Bowl champions. I think that that is going to take a physical toll on them in this game. They're still so good, though. I think that their talent is going to overpower them. And that's why I have the Rams to win this game, but I have Arizona to cover to six and a half. Offense is going to put up a lot of points. I don't typically do a lot of the over-unders on this because then all of a sudden we'd be getting into me having 50 bets in a week. So I won't do that, but I will say the over in this game is a little enticing for me too just because that is going to be two offenses that are going to be slinging it around. But the other NFC West battle on the weekend, we see the floundering Seattle Seahawks go to San Francisco where the 49ers are two and a half point favorites, which is an intriguing line to me and And the reason why is because the rule of thumb is that Vegas gives three points to whoever's the home team, which means that if they played at a neutral site, Seattle would actually be a half-point favor right now. That was a little weird just because I feel like San Francisco is substantially better as a football team. So I have the 49ers covering the two and a half. Naturally, I have their money line as well. But I'm going to ride this until Vegas figures out that Seattle isn't the team that people expect them to be. So there you have it. I have the 49ers winning this game. I think it's still a good game, especially since Trey Lance isn't the starting quarterback as of yet. But I think it is going to be easier than what Vegas thinks it's going to be, though. I flipped the script here. I think mid-explanation. I can't trust the Seattle Seahawks right now. Defensively, I cannot trust it. I can always trust Russ. I cannot trust their defense right now. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. They couldn't stop me going into the fridge to get something for lunch. This is a bad defense. Arguably worse than what they had last year. San Fran, so close, right there. It's Aaron. If that's any other quarterback outside of Aaron Rodgers, Pat, or Tom Brady, they are winning that game. Kyle Shanahan's going to be kicking himself ready to go against a divisional opponent. I like San Fran minus two in here because that's going to cover and it's not going to push. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if this game went up to the three points. So I'm I'm hoping this hook is going to save me. 
when they do win by three points, then I cover this bet. I like San Fran minus two and a half. The deciding factor on how we are going to determine this team in the Denver Broncos, they are hosting the Baltimore Ravens here, where right now they're one-point favorites against the visiting Ravens. This game screams under to me. Oh, this is an under. These are two defenses going at it. Baltimore is waiting to have their true defensive game that they've been waiting for against. I would I would almost call it a worthy opponent. But if they can't stop Derek Carr, outside of that, they've only stopped shitty teams and shitty quarterback play. Really like the under in here. You know what? I'm going to go with Denver minus one because I'm on the Denver hype train right now. Lamar gets sacked four times last week against a front that's not going to be as good as the Denver Broncos have right now. Denver also has one of the best safeties in the league in Justin Simmons. Fresh off an interception last week. Got Patrick Sertain playing a little bit of ball. As long as Denver can make Lamar Jackson that passing quarterback and put pressure on him, I think that Denver can win this game strictly off their defense and Teddy Bridgewater not turning the ball over, which I think Lamar Jackson could and will do. I'm going to take the under on here. I can see this game as like a, a similar to what Ravens had last week, a 20-17, to 17, a 12-9 to 9 game, hitting the under and Denver winning it. Coming a mile high, it's a little bit different. You can run as much as you want, Lamar, but that high altitude is going to get to you, pal. Same-ish score, different winner. Baltimore's going to win this game, and Justin Tucker's going to get a game winner for his second consecutive week. This is a weird one. I didn't bet Moneyline in a few games ago so I could have an extra bet here so I can stick with my 32 a week. And this is what I'm doing. Baltimore is going to cover the one point. They're going to win outright. And I'm taking, just like you, the under 44 and a half. I think it's a 16-14 kind of game. I, I think that both offenses are going to literally be lost compared to these defenses. Not a lot of scoring unless the defenses perhaps get involved a little bit with that. So I think we have a very similar kind of game. I think we have very similar feelings about these teams. We just have the opposite winner here. But this next game, I think we're going to be on the same page for. At least I hope so. The Pittsburgh Steelers are traveling to your Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. This feels like Vegas is just refusing to accept what the Steelers are now. They are a seven-point dog going to Green Bay, which means neutral site again. That would be about a four-point swing. My God, you're telling me an Aaron Rodgers-led team is a four-point favorite over what is now this Pittsburgh Steelers offense? Terrible line, terrible quarterback play, and right now with T.J. Watt out, with Devin Bush out, with Joe Hayden out, it's an average defense. It's a better-than-average defense, but it's not good enough to overcompensate. So Green Bay wins this game by a million. So take the Packers, and I think they win this game by two or three scores. You've heard me talk about how I'm not really that confident on what the Packers defense can do. But man, Ben Roethlisberger struggling. You're missing Juju Smith. You got Jari in a, in a very unique matchup against Chase Claypool. Talk about a size advantage, but I don't care. I think Jari is going to be able to shut him down. And I like Green Bay at minus seven here. This offense is rolling. Aaron Rodgers is on one. That Pittsburgh defense is injured. And I think Aaron is continually ready to to make that statement week in and week out after all the slander he got in the offseason, but after that week one start. Minus seven, it's not in mine, but I think this is an absolute lock, Walter. 
minus seven. And typically when I say that about my Packers, they end up losing outright. So I'm very nervous about this. I like Green Bay in this game. Aaron Rodgers is on one. Devontae's going to come out after a nice 132-yard touchdown, one touchdown game he had against the San Francisco 49ers, who right now have a better defense than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben's going to get exploited. He's going to get pressured. I think Najee Harris will have a nice game because Green Bay cannot stop the run. They never have been able to. That will not stop Green Bay from covering the seven points. In Lambeau, let's get it. All of a sudden, we're three games in, and people are completely flipping the script on the Green Bay Packers. Tampa Bay, the most anticipated game of the week. Tom Brady going back to eat where he shit for 20 years. Coming off a loss. God, I would, that's, the last, that's the last team I want to be right now. It's Tom Brady coming off a loss, and they so happen to be your former team up in Foxborough. He came out and said, I, knew, I know what their preparation's like. I know what their schedule is. I am ready. Like I said, coming off a loss, this guy is as ready as he's ever been outside of a Super Bowl or a AFC Championship or NFC Championship game. Yet, he's going into the house that he built, but Bill Belichick was the actual contractor for. If anyone's going to be able to stop Tom Brady, it's going to be Bill Belichick. Just like if anyone's going to be able to pick apart a Bill Belichick defense, it's going to be Tom Brady. This is the most anticipated game outside of a major playoff game than I can remember in the regular season. I cannot fucking wait. This is the only late night game that I will actually watch when it's not my team and stay up for the whole time. With that said, I don't really feel that comfortable with Tampa Bay covering that six and a half. I think Bill's going to throw some things his way. We'll see if AB wants to get back in the mix here. Going back to his old team, you know, if you do remember, as well as Gronk. There's going to be a lot of people ready to make a statement if they weren't on that. When If they were on that Patriots roster, those main three that we picked here. I don't like the six and a half. I'm going to take the money line, but I will tell you to parlay it with the over at 48 and a half. I will agree with you in part. I think that Tom Brady and Tampa Bay are able to get it done. So I have them on the money line, but I'm also going to take them minus six and a half. And my thought process in this is that this is going to be a very passionate couple teams trying to win for Tom and win for Bill. And I think that once you see the talent differential there, I think that in the second half, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are going to pull away from the Patriots. And it's going to be a very dejected crowd in a very dejected New England Patriots team. I think that at some point, not that they quit, it's just when your heart and soul, you kind of lose that fire. And I think that happens just in this game. But I think that he's able to go into his old home and win by 10 to 14 kind of points, which leaves naturally the last game of the week in Monday Night Football, a battle of which that looks like it'll be for the number one Position in AFC West so far, I'm ignoring that fact that the Broncos and the Ravens play because Denver's a paper champ to me right now. The Raiders are three and a half point dogs on the road. It won't look like it when you enter this building. It will be seven. It might look more like a home game than what Vegas's home games will look like. With that being said, I regrettably am taking the Chargers to win this game, the Chargers to cover this game, I think this is where you finally get to see the Raiders defense for what they really are. I think the clock's going to hit midnight. All this Cinderella Raiders nation that everybody's happy because they can agree for once that everything's good. That disappears. 
defense probably gives up 30 plus and all of a sudden we're stuck and going back to the what actually are the Raiders Chargers win this game I said earlier 38-24 who do you got I'm a more positive spin on this I'm staying away from the spread in general I think there's going to be a lot of points in here since 2018 and John Gruden has joined the league how many times have you heard me say this they have given up the most points in the NFL I feel like they really haven't had a true test in their secondary. So they're kind of sitting there in the shadows waiting to get fucked up. Sorry, Wally. You know what's happening. This could be the game. But this could also be the game that the, that the Raiders show that they're real. They're ready to compete in that division, in the AFC, and maybe for a Super Bowl. So I'm staying away from this spread. And I'm just sitting there enjoying this game and hope they both have fun. Which equates to, I'm taking the over at 52 and a half here. Yes, the Chargers have burned me two weeks in a row with the over. It has to hit, right? Law of averages. It has to hit. It just needs to. These are two, this is the hottest quarterback going against, outside of Pat Mahomes, the hottest young quarterback, as well as Josh Allen. In the same division, the NFC West likes scoring points. They proved that last week in that Kansas City game. I'm taking the over, not touching the spread. Because you know I hate the hook. You know I like the three points in the divisional matchups. In this case, this is a 35-30 game written all over it. And I'm sitting here for the over, baby. And that will bring us to the end of the week four slate of what our picks of Walter and I's are going to be. And now for the last segment of the night before we let you go. Prop, lock, and drop it. Where, well, you guessed it. You pick a game you think is an absolute lock, as we like to say. And a game you're staying away from. We'll switch it up a little bit here, Wally. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it to you to who your prop lock and drop it is this week, pal. You mentioned it being A B and Tom Brady's coming home party in New England. My prop is Rob Gronkowski. There's a special on DraftKings. If you are in an area that you can bet legally, you could get a little boosted odds here too. But he has an over 68 and a half yards and over half a touchdown. So basically, all this is saying is that he has 69 yards or more, which is so Gronk, and a touchdown. And that comes out to play plus 500. To me, that's a really good prop. You know that Brady's going to try to get him involved too, knowing that this is going to be an emotional game for him as well. So I think that's a good bet, especially at the value there. My lock, it's San Francisco minus 2.5 against Seattle. Until, again, I can see Seattle actually put it together. The last thing on earth I think is going to happen is that they walk into that house and actually get this job done on the road. I think the 49ers win. I think there's a chance, too. This is going to be a game you see even more of Trey Lance. But that might be getting ahead of ourselves. It's probably a couple weeks away. And in my drop, I initially had another game. But I'm going to tell you why I'm changing my tune right now. The Giants going to New Orleans. And when you made that comment at the end, I had to look it up because I wasn't sure once the roof caught fire on the Superdome if they would be eligible to play again this year or not. Or this week, excuse me. And they are. They're going back to the Superdome on Sunday. That weirds me out just because it's clearly... It's very easy to reminisce about the Hurricane Katrina coming home game in twenty seven or in 2007 where Gleason had that punt return for a touchdown to begin the game. I'm sticking clear of that game even though I picked the Giants to win outright. I don't like that kind of funky juju so I'm just going to say if I was going to stick clear of one... That's definitely the game I'm sticking clear of. My prop this week, I'm going to stick on this train because the last two weeks, the two weeks prior 
to last week, I was on the sack train. And, of course, right when I get off the sack train about anyone playing the Bears, there they go hitting 14 in that game. I'm going to go with Daniel Jones throwing an interception against the New Orleans Saints. We talked about it here in the beginning, a little bit mid-show. The Saints are tied for first in turnover differential right now. They're at plus five. And I like Danny Dimes to throw because he is extremely prone to turning the ball over. We all know that. If there's a fumble line, I would throw more money on that because we know he loves fumbling. Only player to fumble more is Jared Goff up in Detroit. He's got a better O-line. I'm going with Danny Dimes to throw an interception in that game for my prop against the New Orleans Saints. My lock, we've talked about it. Kansas City minus 6.5 against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, we said this the past two weeks. I, I see no way Kansas City losing. Here we go. Two-game losing streak. But seriously, I do not see the Kansas City Chiefs losing three in a row. And that third in a row being to a way lesser opponent who just got embarrassed on national TV to a team that is arguably worse than the Chiefs. Not dogging the Cowboys, but come on, guys. No one's the Chiefs. And Josh Gordon's going to be the difference maker. I'm kidding. Calm it down. Tyreek Hill. He's going to have a bounce-back game. Pat Mahomes is looking to finally now have a game where he's turning the ball over. This would be the one guy. And Travis Kelsey is going to continue his dominance as the best tight end to ever play the game. My drop here, even though we sell our souls on why you should take these picks, but my drop is the Seattle-San Fran game. We don't know enough about these teams. Is Seattle really that bad and they're having that downfall or they're slow? Same thing with San Francisco. Is Jimmy G going to finally get it going? Is that defense maybe not as dominant as we were anticipating because of all the injuries last year and getting all of them healthy back this year? I want to stay away from this game. I'll watch this strictly so I know what to talk about on this podcast, let alone let alone gamble on it. I'm staying away from that game, and that's going to bring us yet to another end of an episode of Loss of Down. God damn. We're a quarter into the season, Wally. I don't like it. Football being about a month into the year, it's got that. It's the first feeling you're like, all right, well, we just got to slow this down a little bit. This has been awesome, and we don't want to rush it away. So I'm enjoying it right now. I'm literally drinking every moment of being a good football team in the NFL as a fan. I mean, that this never happens. I'm so jealous if this is how you guys get to feel every year. Well, we don't. At least until January. Yeah, we'll we'll start talking in December. But until then, you have to make sure you catch up for week 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and etc. Before we start talking about the December football, make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Instagram, at Loss of Down. Facebook, at Loss of Down. And of course, the Twitter, Down underscore Loss. Did you like that curveball coming your way? I know you did. Wally, what, do you, what are some nice parting words you have for the listeners? I'm a little bit nervous because my next two weeks I have... Uh, two weddings in two rehearsals, very different parts of the country. I got to find a way to get there, somehow have money to like survive in advance, literally life. Dark days. So just send a nice text and say, hi, Wally. I hope you're doing well. That would be nice. I don't know if you're trying to guilt us in starting a GoFundMe page or... That'd be sweet, honestly. <laughs> well, let's see how let's see how trustworthy you are with your bets here because that's one way to make money real quick, baby. No kidding. Hey, like I said, six units north of uh, south last week. That's what I'm talking about. And you got the NHL preseason starting. You got the end of MLB. 
Come on, Wally. Let's get Jerry. You got any baseball picks for us this week? Oh Lord, no. I'm watching right now. The Pirates are up eight to six. I'm probably one of a thousand people either at this game or watching it, so I already feel like a loser. Fade the Pirates forever. And until next week, he is Wally. I'm Steve. This is Loss of Down. Batman's a fake superhero. <laughs> <laughs>